0: John, chapter 15. We'll pick up. It's been exactly a month since we were in the book of John. I felt really good. I was listening to Jack Hibbs uh, going through Romans uh, recently, and and he was in the same chapter. I said he said in the same few verses, and it's been like several weeks. And uh, I, don't know. He made some kind of joke. Maybe they'll finish before the millennium or something like that. And I said I felt pretty good because we're we're making pretty good progress here uh, in John, even though. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break here, uh, but picking up with where we left off, we've covered verses 1 through 8 of the 15th chapter, so if your Bibles are open, we'll pick it up with verse 9. Those of you online, welcome to you as well. I hope you have your Bibles in your hand. Starting with verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a tall task, isn't it? Yes. To love people as Jesus did? This is my commandment. So I already read that one. Uh, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Another really tall task. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit And that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask again for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for these red letter words, your immortal, everlasting, powerful, peaceful, transformative words, Lord, supernatural words. Lord, we pray that uh, that it would not just be words on the page, but Lord, it would penetrate our hearts and pierce us and change us this morning. If anyone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior today, they would call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray for your anointing, your help. I could never step in this pulpit without the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your anointing. I need your help. Help me to teach and preach what you would have to be said and the way you want it said. And Lord, that we would receive with soft hearts and open ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we left off at the end of July with verse 8. And if you look back in your Bibles, it says this in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And that divine will and purpose of the Father that each and every soul that has ever been born again, going back to John chapter 3, Jesus speaking there to Nicodemus, that every soul that's been born again is bearing fruit and is a disciple is only possible by abiding in Jesus. That's, only, that's the only way. As we looked at the opening to John chapter 15, remember Jesus said he is the, the vine the seventh and the final of the I am statements of Jesus regarding his exclusive titles as the sovereign Lord. He's the root. He's the trunk, if you recall, from which all the other branches are subsequently born and coming out of and being nourished. But he expresses that we, you and I, we have to want to abide. We have to be willing to abide. We have to be committed to abiding in the word of God and then heeding his word. There's not another option to bearing fruit and being his disciple. Any branch you've ever seen, right now, we're coming up. If you're new to Virginia, we're coming up on what we call Carter Mountain season. You know, people drive up I 64 and they get their 1,000th picture in front of an apple tree and they grab a bunch of apples. Half never make it to eaten, but half get eaten. Some get made into a pie, all this kind of stuff. It's this kind of season. And we're coming to just the end of peach season. There's a peach orchard. But anytime you have ever seen fruit bearing on a branch, that branch is still in the tree. Because if, it cut, if you cut it off or it falls to the ground, it dies. No more fruit comes from it. There was only one branch in the history of the world, and it was Aaron's rod. It was supernatural by the hand of God. That thing kept budding and blooming. But every other branch that we've ever seen other than Aaron's rod, which was a picture of Jesus himself, the life-giving from the death and the resurrection would still give life. Everything else, have you've ever seen a branch on the ground, It's going to be cut off and die. It's a safe place to be in Jesus. And abide in Jesus, but it's not just about safety. Although it is the safest place, and the only safe place for our soul is in him. But the first act of the will to abide, which means to dwell it brings forth life. That first act of the will, say, Lord, I'm going to abide in you. It's going to bring forth life. It's going to bring forth fruit. It's going to bring forth the growth and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ's character. And the fruit of others coming to Christ, which is the seeds of the gospel that he plants within us. And other people come to faith because we came to faith. Just like other trees are born when the apple tree does give fruit and the seeds come off and up comes more. And all that that Jesus has already said he wants to do and is doing in the disciples. He adds to that that he's the source of the deepest needs of our soul. Before and after salvation, amen? Amen. Even after salvation, you find out needs you didn't know you had. They were always there. You always needed to worship God. You just didn't know you needed to worship God. You always needed to pray. You just didn't know you needed to pray. There's no place on earth to find what only Jesus can give. And that's a long list of things that Jesus gives, I know. But here he focuses on a few of the most essential needs in these next several verses that we just read. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Jesus, the source of love and joy. Perfect love. God-given and real love. God provided joy. And even if someone doesn't think that they need God's love and joy, guess what? They do. I don't think I need it. No, you do. Just as everyone needs his forgiveness. And what Jesus gives and transforms in us and refreshes us is something that happens again and again and again and again. Yes. It's the fourth of September. You will need Jesus to refresh you a bunch of times between now and Christmas alone. Yes. Amen. Amen. Parents just started school, you're saying, I, "I learned that last week, right? You know? <laughs> I'm already ready to quit, you know, whatever it may be. Now, when it comes to things that Jesus gives, this world has substitutes. It has substitutes for everything. Salt substitute, sugar substitutes, cotton substitutes. Hey, this shirt I'm wearing is actually plastic. You know, It, looks, <laughs> feels, and it feels like plastic. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, I was at Costco recently, which is a pantheon of things you didn't know you need until you find them. Like, why did I live life without this before? How did I live life without this before? Where has this been all my life? This should be in my garage, which... Which will, it'll stay there, and I wonder later why I bought it in the first place, that kind of thing. But um, the, the food testing carts are back. If you didn't know that, they're back. And if you time it right, you can stroll through and eat a light lunch just <laughs> around 2 o'clock, try different things. But I finally decided I had heard about this. I had read about it Consumer Report. I, Consumer Reports. I'd watched different things about the Impossible Burger, and they had it out. I don't remember which aisle on I know it was right across from where jeans and stuff were. But there it was, the Impossible Burger. My wife was there. She didn't want to try it, but I said, i got to give this a shot. They say that this tastes just like beef. That's what they're saying. It tastes just like beef. I'm a very realistic person. So if you tell me it tastes just like beef, it has to taste just like beef. Not almost, just like it. Plus, it had cheese on top, which should make it more of an opportunity to taste because cheese masks almost anything. You can put cheese on anything, and it's almost good. So an old tennis shoe can taste decent with, with cheese on it. But I tried. It was a little... They cut them in little triangles. I tried a little triangle. Nope. I mean, it wasn't even half chewed. I'm like, No. I have a suggestion for the brand. I used to be in marketing and stuff. I, was like, I have a suggestion for the brand in the box. Keep the word impossible on there. That's good. But something along the line, it is impossible to make vegetables and oil taste like beef. Only God makes grass taste like steak or hamburger. Only God. And by the way, for the record, I like veggie burgers. I, I've ordered them. I I like them. If it says a veggie burger, I don't even mind having it. I don't care if it's made of black beans or whatever. I like veggie burgers. I like round things that are made of some sort of chicken into something pressed round. But those things don't claim to be beef. So I kind of understand it's not going to taste like a burger. This said impossible taste. It just didn't work. Anyway, off that little tirade. But anyway, um, the world's substitutes for love and joy are worse their yes. substitutes for love and joy are worse. For love, you get lust. Mm-hmm. Or, I really like that person. I really like this. But lust and like are a bad substitute for love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for joy, you get fun. You get entertainment. You get amusement. Mm-hmm. You get winning seasons followed by losing seasons. But that's not joy. Joy. Those are substitutes. Those are the best man can do. And by the way, all those things, amusement, entertainment, all that stuff, how does that help you when you have a real tragedy? Amen. Right. Amen. Sure. Amen. We sing about joy down deep in our soul. Uh-huh. Fun and entertainment is just a vapor. Uh-huh. What Jesus is speaking about is so much different. But it's all an extension of... Of abiding. Turn back with me to verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Let me ask you a question. How much does the Father love the Son? This much? More than the universe, which we can't measure that either. In fact, it's more than we can possibly comprehend. It's more than we can remotely express. It's more than we could ever ever imagine. But to the infinite, indescribable, and perfect extent that the Father has loved Jesus the Son, Jesus has loved the disciples that much. And I don't even understand that. I just know Jesus is saying it, so I know it's true. And the disciples now includes us. If you're born again and you say, I'm now a disciple by the grace of God, then he's loved us that much. And with that assurance, he says, Now abide in my love. Rest in my love. Lean back in my love. Remain or dwell in his love. Don't leave his love for something else, for a substitute. Anything else, anything fake. Now, this abiding in his love is a continuation of abiding in him as what? The vine goes back to his original statement. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abiding in his love is abiding in the vine. We're to be abiding in him and receiving from him those things that come directly from him. You abide in your home for a lot of different reasons. When you abide in your home, your home, you just say your home, but it's inclusive of a lot of things. When you say your home, there's a lot of stuff inside that. You abide in your home out of the rain. You abide in your home out of the elements. You abide when it's 98 in the shade, I'm staying in the AC. Thankfully, we have that invention in our lifetime. In the heat, when it's wintertime. In the light, when it's dark outside. None of us really feel like having a raccoon slide up next to us. <laughs> so we prefer a bed in the house at night. That's for you camping people. But, um. but we get all those benefits abiding in the home. The same as abiding in Christ. He is Christ, which is inclusive of so many things, but there are so many benefits of abiding in Him. We're in Him, but we're simultaneously receiving from Him. We're in Him and we're under His shelter. And we're under his provision. Psalm 61 speaks to this. Psalm 61.4 says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Notice the psalmist's wording. Now, by the way, uh, abiding in the tabernacle, that is for all eternity. Under his shadow is right now. Under his wings is right now. Tabernacles with us. But notice the psalmist's wording I will abide, I will trust. I will abide, I will trust. Just like you said, I will go to church today. You could have done other things. You said, I'm, I'm going to go worship God, I'm going to go listen to the Word of God. I will abide, I will trust. It's a purposing, it's an act of the will to purpose to dwell with the Lord, and to trust the Lord. And As the old hymn so aptly states, trust and obey, for there's no other way. It's still true. The hymn was written in the late 1800s. Trust and obey. There's not another way. Look at verse 10 as it's interconnected to verse 9. If you uh, you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. To abide is to obey, and to obey is to abide. But obeying this initial commandment to abide is the first step to obeying all Jesus' other commandments, serving him, Loving other people, serving other people, taking steps of faith, sharing our faith. Abiding in him is the first step to all the others. The blessing is always in obeying, not simply hearing and considering. Jesus did not just hear the Father's commands. He obeyed the Father's commands. And then he passes that on to us. He says, as you've seen me do, you do. As he said in Luke chapter 11, verse 38, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus' obedience to the Father is always the model. I will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Other people will fail you. We do have godly examples. I'm thankful that there are godly examples in this world that have finished the the race. Pastor Chuck finished faithfully. It wasn't perfect. Good example. Many people have finished the faith. D.L. Moody finished strong. Mm -hmm. Charles Spurgeon finished. They they, they weren't perfect with their examples, but Jesus is the model Mm -hmm. that we all look to. Mm -hmm. He's the one. He said, as I have loved, you're to love. If If I've obeyed the Father, you're to obey the Father. And it's in obedience, which he said in chapter 14, which was the evidence that we truly love him, that we receive his promise of remaining in his love. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we weren't there, but we can read about it, right? Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve, they would have remained in God's paradise his love, his provision. They would have if they had abided in obedience. Amen. Amen? They had one simple command. I'm not picking on them. We would have all blown it as well. The scriptures make that pretty clear. They're up in heaven. They're, they're, they're probably dreading the rest of us saying, why, why? You know, they, no, I'm kidding. but We would have all done the same thing. But if they would abide it, which is to trust and to believe and to obey, they would have stayed lavished in the love of God. In Proverbs 16, 20, it says, He who heeds the word of God will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The Lord is the one that brings that joyful, happy sense in our hearts Amen. but way back in the garden instead of trusting God uh-huh. Adam and Eve trusted in who? Themselves and Satan yes. we pray for revival for this country because if I know anything about this country I know it well, I love this country this country I met, I've met tons of people and I was the same as them and even post salvation I have the same fleshly inclinations, we all do but as a nation, this country trusts themselves mm-hmm. and Satan. Yep. You're right. You're right. I don't trust in Satan. You just don't know. He's marketed to you. He says, I'm not Satan, but he is Satan. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So we trust in ourselves because he comes as, instead of a serpent, he comes as the American dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He comes as you can be a millionaire, mm-hmm. he comes as you can be popular. He comes as, you're better than the other person beside you. All lies. Uh Uh But they trusted themselves and they trusted Satan, but they didn't trust God who's perfect and holy. They stepped out of abiding and obeying and into ignoring and straying. Out of abiding and obeying and into ignoring and straying. And that same thing, even if you're saved, you can step out of abiding and obeying and into ignoring and straying. I just take about a month off reading my Bible, and I got other things that give me a little more joy than that. Oh, they're temporary. When they stepped out of obeying God and abiding in the hand of God, it was a disaster. It's still a disaster, in a sense. Mm-hmm. It brought immediate dread, and then eventually death. And instead of living the love and paradise of God, they were dying, didn't even know it. He said, hey, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. All going to work out. You're going to know as much as God. You're going to know, you're gonna be, he knows you're going to be as powerful as him. And the whole thing, they had been sold a bill of goods. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that's not the end of the story, aren't you? I believe we'll see Adam and Eve in heaven. I believe they're both redeemed just like the rest of us. And like I said, we would have made the same mistake. But that's not the end of the story. And I love just these two words, but Jesus. But Jesus. I love saying that. He's the restorer. Everything that was lost in the fall, everything that was lost, and a lot of things were lost, but he restores them all. Mm -hmm. I know I've given this analogy before, but it, it just... It bears repeating, and some of you haven't been here. When I, it, You and I, we can try and repair things and restore things. You ever use crazy glue, and you tried to line the, the, the handle to the cup exactly the way, and you, it should, I got it flushed, and it still is askew in some way. You're like, you tried to fix the bike frame, but it still wobbles when you drive. You know, whatever it is, we, we do our best to restore things. There's still... Something about it says, that thing's never going to be the same. You and I could take, you could take a glass vase and shatter it on a concrete uh, ground, and it would go into a million pieces. You and I could never put that thing back together again. We could do our best, but it would have big gaping holes. Jesus is the only one that you could, he could throw it on the ground and say every molecule will come back together. Right. And it does. And by the way, he's going to do that with our dead bodies all over the world the rapture of the church. Yes. you realize that save people that went down the Titanic, their molecules are going to just come from all oceans of the world and fuse back into their body, but not just their body, better than it ever was yes. before. How about that? Yes. Not just the vase back to normal, but better than it ever was. He's the restorer of everything. The restorer of all things everything that was lost in the fall. Heaven's going to restore everything and even far exceed the glory of the garden. Amen? Amen. Heaven will be greater than the Garden of Eden because redemption is all part of glorifying God. Amen? Amen. So restoring what was from the fall. But here's the good news, because we're not in heaven yet. We're still stuck here in Chesterfield. (laughs) I remind myself that when I see, like, like a Caribbean scene on, on my laptop screensaver. I'm like, I'd like to be there right now. But instead, I'm sitting on Hall Street, (laughs) praying. (laughs) I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Um, Right now, Jesus restores us inwardly. Inwardly. Because I don't have my glorified body, neither do you. I don't have all that restoration. We still can get cancer, heart disease, diabetes, whatever. We don't have a restored body, but we have a restored soul. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about love and joy. Those aren't physical. You don't buy those at Walmart spiritual in nature look at verse 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you that your joy may be full Jesus said all of this among other things I'm talking about the prior verses his joy which is supernatural will remain in his disciples if they remain in him and that their joy would be full, a cup that's full, similar to the Holy Spirit, uh, overflowing in us. Brother and sister, do you want to be filled with joy? Yes. Yes. I do. I've been saved for 27 years, and I want more joy than I had before. But not for myself. I really believe that the more I'm filled with joy, the more value I am to the kingdom of God and to other people I meet. I do want it for myself, but not only for myself. Now, he says joy-filled. Jesus does not say problem-free or trial-free. That he doesn't say here. Matter of fact, wait till we get to verse 18. Some of you might want to stay home. He starts talking about persecution for his name's sake. He does not say trial-free. He does not say problem-free. He does not say heartache-free. He says filled with joy. Here's a spiritual formula, if you take verses 8 and 11. Those of you like math, you like formulas. Some of you that are in school are like, no, I, please don't give me another formula right now. Anything but a formula. But anyway, it's not really in math equation here. But it says, as we're immersed in his love, walking in obedience, joy, the byproduct, will inevitably flow into our hearts. But there's not going to be inflow of joy unless there's first of saying, Lord, I'm going to obey and abide in you. Obeying and abiding inflow of joy. We may not want to hear this, but we need to hear it. A lack of joy is often an indicator that we are not abiding in Christ and following in obedience. A lack of joy is often and most often an indicator that we are not abiding in Christ or following in obedience. That there's self-will ruling our hearts or some level of resistance to Christ's lordship and our life now that's not always the case I want to be sensitive to, you can have a season where your joy is gone and you can love Jesus and be abiding and you're like pleading for your joy to come back David prayed such a thing in Psalm 51 12 he says restore to me the joy of of your salvation, because salvation comes from God. If we didn't create it, we received it. Your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now, the only reason we have joy at all is because Jesus gives it to us. And you can, God will even sometimes let his own children go through a season without joy, that they will value it again. Does that make sense? You ever, like, miss something you, when you didn't have it for a while, then you get it back, like, hey, th- I really appreciate ever have a flat tire you appreciate not t- tires not being flat right, 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 right. when you get a flat uh-huh. ride down the road everything's good i don't care about flat tire get a flat tire you care about flat tires right, right. and i so god will sometime there will be a season where he might say all right this season you're not going to experience the joy so you will appreciate it when i give it back mm-hmm. but in most cases it's our own fault mm-hmm. of not abiding but there are exceptions to these at least i believe i can see that in scripture but in most cases we're drifting or we're looking for substitutes rather than receiving real joy from jesus now his joy comes in concert with the helper and again that's one of the names of the holy spirit jesus introduced that name of the holy spirit back in chapter 14 same upper room discourse and again he's going to use the same word uh, the same name and title for the holy spirit in john uh, chapter 15 here, same chapter we're in, in verse 26. But it's the Helper who will help us, as we see here in verse 12, turn your attention to verse 12, the Helper is going to help us remember these things, to remind us these things, and encourage us these things, all the way down to verse 17. Not, not only verse 17, the whole Upper room Discourse, but where we're looking at, this morning. Look at verse 12, that the Holy Spirit will help us with this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want to love you. I want to love my wife. I want to love the people that God's put in my life as Christ loves them, but I cannot do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. How about you? But that's why he said in chapter 14, I'm going to give you the helper. He's going to bookend that in the 26th verse, the helper again. But he still gives us the command. He would not give us the command if he didn't give us the help to keep the command. Amen. Now, not perfectly. You know, I say all the time, he's never going to say, well done, good and perfect servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. He knows who has endeavored to love and who has said, I don't care about that at all. At all. I have never endeavored to go skydiving. <laughs> Could not care less if all of you do it. Doesn't bother me a bit. If you all decide to do it, I'm not doing it. I couldn't care less to do it. It's never been something I said, man, if I I don't get to skydive before I die, no, I'm going to fly up in the rapture. I already got that coming. I don't care. So you know when you've endeavored to do something and when you haven't endeavored to do something. That's an extreme example, but you know when you've endeavored and so the Lord says, look, I'm telling you to start loving one another in the Holy Spirit, and just do it. It's not a suggestion to love one another. And to love one another is to serve one another, care for one another, take time for one another. Time is a valuable commodity, and we don't always want to give our time, but Jesus gave his time to the disciples, and we're to love as Jesus loved, and he had just Earlier in this same evening, as you recall, he had washed their feet. He got down, put the towel around him, and had washed their feet. He went really low and really humble. And are you and I willing to do that for one another? Are you willing to do that in your own marriage, if you're married here today? Are you willing to do that for your unsaved neighbors? Maybe people that grate your nerves at work love them anyway. But really, he's speaking most in the context of loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just be in the church, but love the church. Amen. Serve one another. Jesus is, uh, had said also earlier in the evening in John thirteen thirty-five. it's up on the screen, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world can even see the difference. Right, right, right. The world can see the difference. We're loving the whole family, not because not because there's some kind of forced reason to do so, but because Jesus has been really generous with us. We want to love and minister to people who are hurting Amen. and many other families over the years, and we'll continue to do so by the grace of God. But his love flowing in us should flow out of us, right? Amen. If, if the love of God's coming in, it should be coming out. Jesus comes down to the love of God, and he poured his life out, as Paul would later say about his own life, like a drink offering. It was flowing out. Look at verse 13. We've got to kind of move quickly here to move uh, the rest of these verses. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus is pointing here. With this statement, Jesus is pointing ahead to the greatest act of love ever to be poured out as he's going to be placed on that Roman cross the following morning from from this statement, the following morning he'll be on the cross. Mm. He knows that. They don't know that. He's about to lay his life down for the disciples. Verse 14, he says, you are my friends. He just said lay down his life for his friends, but then he gets specific not just speaking about friends in general, he says, now I'm, you know, looking into their eyes, he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You're my friends. His love, his gift of joy, his commandments, to all of these things, he says, Here he adds, you are my friends. Not just his disciples, but his friends if, if they obey him. Uh You may be here watching online. You may not have a friend in this world. But if you've really come to Christ, you have a friend in Jesus. That will never leave you, never forsake you. And he's already died and rose for you. Amen. Amen? There's a lot of people that are lonely. Once you have, I, I do not struggle with loneliness. I struggle with the other. I'm like, Lord, I've had enough of people. <laughs> like, you know, at times. I'll be honest. There's times like that. Loneliness, I'm good with it. <laughs> Me and Jesus, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to the masses. Right. We're called to the woman at the well. We're called to the crowds. We're called to the all points in between. And some of you don't struggle with loneliness. You'd be fine. You, a book, and you're good. Amen. But that's not the call. But other people do struggle with it. But I'm saying, Jesus, I've come to be a friend no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. And he's going to upset everybody's apple cart in a good way, mm-hmm. which is balancing all of us. But you have a friend because he's promised not to forsake us. Now we obviously can't miss what he says here because he says, you're my friends, truly my friends, if Uh you can't, you got to start the word, if you obey my commandments. You can't ignore the statement. It's pretty plain, pretty pretty clear. I think about like this. Any of you, have any of you ever had a boss or a manager or someone you report up to higher in the org structure that you would also consider a friend. I've had several of these in my lifetime where I literally could say my boss is my friend. Amen. I've had this several times, and I have been able to sincerely, thankfully every time that's happened, I was post-salvation. Because this wasn't always true. Before save my wife can tell you, uh, my tolerance of things and patience. But after salvation, I have been able to be truly friends with people that I reported to and actually be friends with them, and still remember that I was subordinate to them. And okay with that. I mean, that didn't bother me. And I could still answer, you got it. And I could know when I was wearing hat, friend hat, and no, you better do this hat. And be okay with that. In Jesus, he's not your boss that's your friend, though he's definitely your boss. He's your Lord and Savior that's your friend. Huge difference. But the friendship didn't become because you worked at the same place or you had common interests. The friendship has been bought by his blood, his death, and his resurrection. Amen. That's where the friendship came Amen. from. Amen? Amen? And we serve him not out of force and not out of guilt, but from a place of forgiveness and gratitude. Turn with me, to turn your attention to verse 15 and 16 as we kind of come to a close here. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I know this is true of me, but I chose and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Jesus reiterates here in verses 15 and 16 just how much he's done for the disciples and by extension now, us. And that all that they are and all that we are and all that they become and all that we will become and all that we are becoming even today on September the 4th, all that we've become and will become is through Christ. Amen? Amen? It's it's not because you were smarter. It's not because you did a little better job than everybody else. It's all the grace of Jesus. He's the one that's given them revelation. They wouldn't know all these things about the Father unless Jesus told them. He's the one. He says, I've given you the revelation. He's given them revelation. He sought them out and chose them. You guys know my testimony. Me and my wife closed down a bar the night before we got saved at 3 in the morning, went to church with a headache, and found Jesus. Because it wasn't that we found him. He found us. Right, right, right. He said, I sought you and chose you. He sought them out. He chose them. And now he ensures that they will bear fruit if they remain in him. I've seen fruit over the last 10 years, and it's only because I've abided in Jesus. I've not done anything special. I've just hang out, hang out like a branch <laughs> and hope for sun and rain. Right? Amen. But it's not, that's not for us. We just pray for sun and rain as it's the spiritual work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He says, All of this that your fruit will remain as they remain in him, the vine, in his love. Verse 17, the final verse here These things I command you that you love one another. Amen. Here's the thing with digesting what Jesus has said, and he said this more a number of times in several different ways about loving one another. But all of this, the whole context of him being the vine, us the branches, all the way down to abiding in his love, the joy and the love that we will experience through these things. Here's the thing. With digesting what Jesus has said and what he has promised, promised. Let me say that again. What he's promised. Do you believe that? Or do you think, well, these are just words. You and I make promises we do not keep. He will keep this promise. Amen? Amen? What he said and what he's promised. Don't wait until you feel love and joy. All right, say it. Do not wait until, say, I will do this or that or serve this way when I feel love and joy. Mm-hmm. He is not, he says, you're going to have to obey me first. Mm-hmm. If you obey me, these things come. Right, right. Abide in my love believe his word and accept by faith that really love and joy has already been placed in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's activated by obedience and abiding. It's activated by, Lord, I'm going to do this with your help, with the helper. And exercise joy and serving and loving Jesus by serving and loving others. And then you will experience the feeling, there is actually a feeling of love and joy Praise God for that. (laughs) But that comes with that step of faith. Peter stepping out of the boat, that water became like concrete, didn't it? It didn't look like concrete, but it was ready for him. Pastor Chuck said this well. He said, whatever we do for the Lord, we should do it cheerfully for the sheer joy of knowing we're doing it for him. Not even the sheer joy of knowing we're going to get love and joy, but because he's already Purchased us, why would we not do it joyfully? And then, by the way, it's this exponential flow of love and joy coming in. Love and joy are cheerfully served. Love and joy follows. Don't wait for the feeling. The obedient, trusting, thankful response to Jesus of abiding in Him. And then His love and then His joy will grow in our life. Amen. He is the source of everything we need. Amen. Father, we thank you again. Not only did you send your son, not only did your son obey your will and said, not my will but thine. Not only did Jesus complete the mission, and Lord, we have been given the helper and residence in our hearts, which is that guarantee of our salvation, but also The presence of your joy, the presence of your love, that perfect love, has been placed within us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's not anything we could have done or would have done, but just a gift of your grace. And Lord, we know that because of what you've done, we now have a reason to freely give our lives back in obedience and abiding in you. And Lord... We're the one that receives the benefit, not you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would grow, even this morning, even this day, in the faith to trust you at your word. Not drifting and ignoring, but obeying and abiding. That that love and joy that you have promised would grow in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.